Welcome back. This is our podcast series on well-being, in particular how it affects uh, healthcare professionals and uh, so what are some of the things we can do about that. My name's Herb Garrison. I'm the Associate Dean for Graduate Medical Education at the Brody School of Medicine at East Carolina University and the designated institutional official for GME at Vidant Medical Center. Uh, with me, my guest today, we're really honored to have Dr. Mike Lang. Dr. Lang is the program director uh, for our internal medicine and psychiatry combined residency and a clinical associate professor and vice chair in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Medicine at the Brody School of Medicine. Dr. Lang is also the chief of behavioral medicine at Vidant Medical Center. I want to point out this is necessary to make sure you get uh, continuing medical education for listening to these podcasts that neither Dr. Lang nor myself have any financial disclosures related to this podcast. And I also want to thank Alan Brannigan and Mildred Carraway, the Eastern AHEC, and Kelly Whitehurst and Allison Riddick of the Office of GME who are here helping us as we're doing this recording. Dr. Lang, today we're going to talk about how we help a colleague or one of our peers who's struggling with a well-being concern. What do, what do you do? How do you approach someone where you have your suspicions? What are the clues that indicate there might be something you need to intervene on? And then what exactly do you do? Well, the first thing, again, that I preach, as I have said in some earlier podcasts, we do have a theme. We must be each other's keeper. And so what I preach over and over again is as physicians, patient care and societal care comes first. We have a moral, professional, and ethical obligation to make sure that providers are providing the best care possible. And so if you see someone floundering, not just for their benefit, obviously, but for their patient's benefit, you have to intercede. And so how you do it is as important as the fact that you're doing it. And so whether you should do it or not is not even a question. The question is how best to lead to success. And so what I tell people is environment is crucial. How you deliver bad news or good news depends upon the environment that it's in. So pull the colleague to the side. Let's say that they have just had some eruption on the ward service and now everyone is paying attention to it and they've blessed out a nurse or they've blessed out a resident, whatever the case may be. You pull them to the side into a quiet room and you gently ask what's going on. And you've got to be prepared for a level of defensiveness. Oh, I'm just having a bad day. Or if the nurse hadn't have done that or, you know, whatever the case may be, I start by pointing out the facts. Dr. X, you just yelled at the resident inappropriately. Or Dr. X, you just threw a chart onto the floor for no reason whatsoever. It is often difficult to argue with a fact. And when you point out facts of behavior, people often have to step back, reflect, and go, did I just actually do that? Because when you're angry and it's in the heat of the moment, you're not even really thinking about what you're doing. And so pointing out facts and then going based on that fact, Dr. X, what's going on? What led to that? That didn't just come out of nowhere. People don't have days that bad. And so then you wait. So you ask and then you see what's going on. And a uh, tool that I teach psychiatric residents is don't just say something, sit there. Give them some time to respond, and often you may see it pour out of them, and then you've got a pretty good idea of what's going on. And if it's something that's isolated, you know, they're having a little bit of marital strife, you make your suggestions, you be supportive, you be non-judgmental. No one wants to be judged, and so you've got to keep that in your mind. 
Let's say that they're not quite as forthcoming as you would like. You've pointed it out to them, and then you monitor from a distance. And if you see a repeat action, now you've got a pattern, and that's going to promote or prompt another conversation and possibly a thought of moving to the supervisor. Because people can be somewhat reluctant to do that. You don't want to get your colleague in trouble. You don't want to impact their career. But you also don't want them to make a mistake that will affect patient care because that's going to impact their career as well. You want to identify the depression, the burnout, the home-related stress. Uh, an idea that has been proposed, if a face-to-face -face talk is not fruitful, come at it from an indirect way. So one suggestion would be reaching out and starting an online conversation because that gives people the chance to communicate with a little bit more distance, with a little bit more sterility, so to speak. And so you can say, hey, I know that we've all been fried lately relative to the COVID pandemic. I just want to get a sense of where we're all at because I know I'm struggling. Let's take this burnout inventory and see what we've got. And then everybody takes the burnout inventory and everybody gets to see their score and they go, oh my dear God, I can't believe I'm that burned out. Another way of getting people to see facts. And then from there, you have to help them get to whatever resources that they need. Again, people can be very reluctant to do this. Often, your coworkers are your friends, and you're worried about complicating your relationship. And again, I say, your duty to that person as a friend and your duty to the profession supersedes your potential discomfort over the prospect of reporting. It is better to report if they're not going to seek help themselves and get them the help they need than an adverse patient outcome because we all strive to be good doctors and we would not want that on our consciences. You know, having to pay all this attention to uh, well-being, having to worry about our colleagues, uh, it seems abnormal. But should it be? But is it abnormal? And, and I think we're all human, mm -hmm. and this is a human condition, if you will. H how do we normalize concerns for well-being and working on well-being, how do we make that a normal part of, of what we do? The Harvard Business Review actually published a fantastic paper on that that bridges the gap across multiple disciplines. And what they say, and something that I have read in the literature over and over again, is that culture starts at the leadership level. The culture is dictated by the leaders of the institution, the presidents of the hospital, the chairman, et cetera. People are gonna take their step from them. And so one of the things that leaders and managers can do is actually be a little bit vulnerable themselves. Now, I'm not saying you got to stand up and tell everybody your most intimate secrets, but acknowledging that you too are struggling can go a long way because people fear being judged, especially by the person who is their supervisor and completes their annual evaluation. And so if they know you too have had some anxiety and you too have had some insomnia and you too are working on your own wellness, that will promote them to do the same thing. Leaders must exemplify the healthy behaviors that they want in employees. People watch everything the leaders do. So if they see the leader taking time out to go for a walk and be outside, and the leader identifying that as something that's important when you have a break, they're eating healthy, they're unplugging when the time is right to unplug, and they're focusing on their own inner wellness, they lead by example. They have an expectation of connectedness through regular check-ins, and that is something that leaders have to get into the practice of doing. And when I mean a regular check-in, coming in to see someone, asking them how they're doing, and then shutting up and listening. And if they tell you something heavy and you don't know the necessarily the right answer, at least be empathetic. Let them know that you heard it, and then get back to them with, 
hey, I heard the depression and the anxiety in your voice. Do you want me to refer you to someone for the mental health background in the institution or outside of the institution? I'm here to help you. In what ways can I? Managers need to keep flexibility in mind, especially with what has been going on in the pandemic. Like I had said in an earlier podcast, people are often having to work with their kids at home being homeschooled or their elderly parents without someone who can adequately check in on them. If someone could conceivably work from home and still meet their productivity values and goals, maybe consider letting them work from home. That's what WebEx is for. We've all seen that you can have very productive meetings by WebEx. So let people have a little bit of flexibility to get their job done in an alternative way. Everybody doesn't have to be in the office all the time. Maintain clear and consistent communication. That's something I'd also said in an earlier podcast is data was flipping back and forth on almost a day-to-day basis. And our healthcare workers, especially on the front line, often didn't know which foot to stand on on any given day, and that promoted their own anxiety. And so if managers keep up clear and consistent communication, letting folks know, here's where the data tells us now, here's what we're going to do, here's how much personal protective equipment we have, it alleviates anxiety. It lets everybody know that they know what's going on and that their leaders are in positions to understand. Institutional leaders need to put resources into training in mental health to create a safe and healthy work culture. Education on burnout, depression, stigma, mental health myths that need to be burst, and how to have conversations on these topics with employees. A lot of institutional leaders have no idea how to ask pertinent questions about burnout, depression, or anxiety. Lastly, we need to be looking at our policies and procedures to make sure that they promote a healthy culture. Do we have flexible policies on scheduling, paid and unpaid leave, burnout and health aspects reviewed during their performance evaluations? That is as good a time as any to ask people, have you seen your primary care doctor in the last year? I'm not asking you what you spoke about. I just want to know that you went because we know that providers don't go. And so then they're ignoring their own emotional or sometimes physical health and ignoring it. And then that leads to catastrophic consequences. We need to put all those things in place consistently to create a culture of connectedness and support and then monitor it. And you would see increases in workplace surveys as a result. You mentioned vulnerability. And I believe that leaders get the behavior they exhibit oftentimes. And Let's assume that every physician, every clinician is a leader in some form or fashion. We're not big on vulnerability. We want to look strong and confident all the time. How can you be strong and confident and still look and be vulnerable, which would give others confident that it's okay for them to be vulnerable? The analogy that I come to when I hear that from providers in clinic is, is a person brave without adversity? You have to have some adversity in order to show your courage. And so what I tell people is there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, I am a little beat down, I'm a little tired, I'm very anxious, but I'm right here with you, and we're going to get through this together in a healthy, productive way, supporting each other. Now, that is a little vulnerable, but it promoted strength. And it promoted the kind of position that you want your doctors to be showing to the respiratory therapists, to the nurses, to the nurses' aides, and to the patients' families, and the patients themselves. You can simultaneously promote strength and virtue at the same time and lead by example. Don't have to be a robot. You do not have to be a robot. And robots rust. 
Robots mm. fall down, and they need to be repaired just like everything else. So we, we've talked a lot about what people can do as individuals. When, when do you go and get some help from someone? You're worried about a colleague. You've observed some things. When and how do you, do you get some help? The first thing that I say to providers is they have to have an index of suspicion. I'm not saying you need to walk around and assume that every one of your coworkers is a cocaine addict, far from it. But we know that mental health and substance abuse disorders are the third most common cause of morbidity and mortality in the world outside of cancer and heart disease. That means common things being common. If you're sitting in a room full of doctors, you can assume that a third of them are probably dealing with this. So an index of suspicion starts. I will also say that suicide is the 10th most common cause of death in this country. And so you have to have an index of suspicion for that as well. If you're seeing people spiral, and we all have clinical observation skills, we would not gotten out of medical school and residency if we didn't have those. Put them toward each other. And when you see people spiraling, first reach out, but have a low threshold for contacting others. If someone wants to be referred to a doctor outside, get them the help they need. Sometimes physicians are worried that they're going to have to take responsibility for their colleagues' mental health or other issues. And you don't necessarily have to take responsibility, but there is, that's a far cry from ignoring it as well. Would it be fair to say that uh, a definition of a colleague is someone that's going to look after and love their, their other colleagues? Correct. We are in this together. We are teammates. Medicine, I am hard-pressed to find another discipline that is more team-oriented and collegial than medicine is supposed to be. And so we need to make sure that we create a culture of team orientation and support. That's what leads to the best patient care outcomes anyway, all of us working together toward the same goal. We are here to take care of each other. And if we do that well, as is our responsibility, we're going to have a lot less concerns about well-being. We're going to see a lot of wellness and a lot of well-being. Uh, I want to thank Dr. Mike Lang, who's been our guest again for this podcast series on uh, well-being. We've, we've got one more to go, and it's going to be talking about the learners and how we look after them. And Dr. Lang, uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you so much.